Couldn't help but notice <clears throat> that's Brother Ray's bumper. And some of our staff said this morning, let's keep it like that just because of maybe what the Lord has laid on my heart to share with you this morning. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Psalm 139. I know it may be a very familiar passage for many. For some, it may even be life verses uh, found within this Psalm of David. But just for our purposes today, we're going to talk through all the psalm, and don't let that panic you. Uh, hopefully it'll just be an introductory to what the Lord will use for your quiet time in the coming days. But Psalm 139, and I, I have entitled it, Identity Crisis. So if you would, just the first note I want you to take, okay? Identity Crisis. I want you to take a big pen. I don't see many of you grabbing for pens, so okay, thank you. Encourage me this morning, all right? So take a big pen and write 2.0, right beside the word crisis, 2.0. This opportunity that we all have to hear from the Lord. Who in here, you, you, you know that the truth, the, the, the Lord's word will not return void, right? Everybody? Amen. Everybody? Hopefully, if not, you raise that hand in your heart. God's Word does not return void. Well, this past week I was preparing for the message, the opportunity to prepare for a message, and you know, we always have one in our back pocket, whether it be Aaron or Chase or Lance, just in case something goes wrong. And by the way, we had this event Thursday night, and, and so we went home Thursday night, and Monica started not feeling so good Thursday night, and Friday morning it really hit the stomach bug, bad and not good. And so uh, I, I finished up my study on Thursday and did what I typically do. Then I went home, and then we came back up here. Then Friday morning, I said, well, I'll just work from home and get my iPad. And I'll just go back over the message, you know, do those things. And so I, I went to open it up, and it, it was, I couldn't open it up. And I thought, well, I've probably done something wrong. I, Honey, you're okay for just a few minutes. Here's some Gatorade, some ginger ale, and all the other things you may need. Uh, not to go into too much information for stomach virus or things like that, and I'm going to go to the office for a minute. She said, that'd be fine. So I came up here and uh, turned on everything, said to hey, everybody, and they said, what are you doing here? I said, I'm trying to earn the extra mile award, just doing things extra. I'm here on my day off. Just, just you can brag about me, Pastor, later. And <clears throat> So I, op- I went to open it up, and there it was, identity crisis, and I clicked on it, and a box that usually does not appear appeared. This file is not available. Stomach virus started coming on me <laughs> at that moment. Started churning. Started thinking about, that's a crisis. Do you know what crisis is defined? Well, let me share it with you. Oh, Webster has a good definition for crisis. The turning point for better or worse. An emotionally significant event. Can I say amen to that one? I became anxious when that screen said file is not available. So I called Jessica. I heard her in the next office. She came in there and tried to do things. She called our IT real time. They tried to do things. And so I called the real expert, Matthew Johnson. He came up here. I was praying over him, over the computer and everything. I'm just... um, you know, laying hands and everything. He said, and after about an hour or so or more, I wish I had better news. That's never a good lead-in to a, a comment. He said, I just, it's not there. And we found out what had happened. It's too much information. So I went back home looking for a shoulder to cry on. Monica said, our times are in God's hands. I said, I know that. I just, I just want your pity right now. I just, you know, just, I just want somebody to say, it's okay. No, that's exactly what I need to hear. So I came back up here yesterday, and I began to, you know, say, Lord, and I, I remember most of it, but I started by reading the Word of God. And can I, as an indictment upon myself, share with you this morning, I read it, and I couldn't finish it without crying. Because you know, when you, when you, when you know something so well, and you kind of understand maybe the identity of it, and it becomes more academic, 
it becomes more doctrinal. It, it's good, but it's not great. So I just want you to sit there. We're not going to stand to read this morning. But I'm going to try my best to read Psalm 139 to you and remain composed. But I make no promises. Because I trust the Holy Spirit. The Word of God should never return void. Whether we're simply reading it, we're singing it, or it's being preached. So many times when we say it should not return void, we think of someone coming forward to make a decision. I'm wanting you this morning to say, what needs to come out of me? God, how do I need to respond right where I sit at the reading of your holy word? So typically we pray after we read, but now I'm just going to pray before we read. And hopefully your version will sound or look something like mine when we begin it. So let's pray together. Holy Spirit, regather our scattered senses. Father, our Creator, this is your word. It is perfect. It is transforming. It demands a response. Jesus, our Redeemer, may we see and know you through the reading of the Word that is the theme of your life, death, and resurrection. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This extraordinary knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I am unable to reach it. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you. Because I have been remarkably and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. God, how difficult your thoughts are for me to comprehend. How vast their sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, I am still with you. God, if only you would kill the wicked, you bloodthirsty men. Stay away from me. 
who invoke you deceitfully. Your enemies swear by you falsely. Lord, don't I hate those who hate you and detest those who rebel against you? I hate them with extreme hatred. I consider them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. That is the Word of God. Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, always encourages his students to ask two questions whenever they're looking into a passage of Scripture, whenever they're trying to study something. One, what does this text teach us about God? And two, what does this text teach us about humanity? If we were to ask those two questions about Psalm 139, the simple answer is a lot. There's a lot going on here about God and about man. John Calvin, the 16th century theologian, understood that truth as well because in his classic, The Institutes of Christian Religion, he says this, quote, Our wisdom, our wisdom, insofar as it ought to be deemed true and solid wisdom, consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. Psalm 139, church, this morning provides us with this true and solid wisdom. This psalm sings the truth of Hebrews 4.13. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. This wonderful psalm includes praise, thanksgiving, lament, confession, meditation, and prayer. It has characteristics of how to teach and how to live. David knew as we must know this morning, listen to me, that wrong ideas about God will inevitably lead to wrong ideas about ourselves. That is identity crisis, not knowing who you are. So let me say that one more time. I think I wrote this about 11 o'clock yesterday, this part right here, so it's good. Wrong thinking can tragically lead to wrong decisions, leading to the wrong path, resulting in the wrong eternal destiny. Wrong ideas about God will inevitably lead to wrong ideas about ourselves. This psalm has a lot to teach us. It has a lot to say about the greatness of our God. Hassel Bullock, a commentator that I read about, says, Psalm 139 puts God's claim on every nook and cranny of our lives. Everything. Everyone at some time in their life probably goes through some sort of identity crisis. It's just another way of saying we're all searching for significance. So as we unpack this today, for these next few minutes, we'll look at all four parts, six stanzas each, 24 verses. And I think we can at least discover four things together this morning about identity crisis and about our search for significance. They're not earth-shattering, but if you take time and ask God to allow it to marinate in your soul, it will taste good. First of all, God knows all about us. God knows all about us. Doesn't that sound simplistic? Doesn't that sound like something you would maybe learn in VBS at the first or second grade level? But I cannot, cannot just challenge you this morning as our senses are scattered throughout the week. We all have the great proclivity to forget that simple truth. But to know that God knows all about us, 
I want you to allow God's Holy Spirit, even invite Him now, to say, just God, let, let me feel what King David, a man after your own heart, was feeling when you were inspiring him to pen these words. God knows everything about you and me. It means He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. Verse 1, Lord, you have searched me and know me. This Hebrew word translated search, hakar, means to examine intimately. Write this down. God knows my heart. God knows my heart. He knows everything about you and me, past, present, and future. He is intimately acquainted with every detail of our lives. God knows when I sit down and I stand up. He discerns my travels and my rest. He is aware of all my ways. Write this down. God knows my actions. He knows when we sit and watch TV or when we go through a reel or when we go through buy, sell, trade on Facebook. He knows when we fall asleep watching a show and our spouse bumps us and it's time to go to bed. Then He knows everything about us. God knows our habits, both good and bad. He knows what's going on in your mind right now. Indeed, He is aware of all our ways. In the daytime or nighttime, all that we do is before His ever-watching eyes. He knows when we laugh and He knows when we cry. Few things reveal omniscience of God like the fact that he knows what I'm thinking before a word is on my tongue. If you have some steel toe shoes, you might want to slip them on right now. Write this down. God knows my words. Parenthetically, before I speak them. He knows everything we think and everything we say, even before we think it. Before we can speak a word, God is thoroughly familiar with what we're going to say and how we're going to say it. This is why every day we need the prayer of Psalm 1914. You know it well. Allow me to read it to you. Listen intently. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David continues in verse 5. You have encircled me. You have surrounded me. You have hemmed me in. The Hebrew word, the transliteration means confine or cramp. Have you ever been just maybe held? If you, I don't know. We talked about this this morning in our children's ministry. They're watching some wrestling somehow. I don't know all about it, but Jessica went to turn the TV on and it just went to wrestling, which for a young boy, that's a good thing. But I remember when, when we were young, and even my youngest does it some now, probably a bit more... Uh, passionate than maybe I did, but we just like to wrestle around the floor. If we probably had some chemicals that we need to get rid of in our bodies. It was just too much flowing in there. But we would wrestle until we just couldn't. We'd almost be the point of passing out. We would just wrestle, and we would get after it. In this, I remember when a, a friend of mine, and he's, he's, he's no longer living, but we, we used to hang out together all the time. His name was Lee Ray Marshall. He was a magnificent athlete. I was not. But I tried hard. I was a biggin. And so I would have leverage every now and then. And I would get him in a headlock. 
I didn't care what part of body he was. He, I mean, he, he knew who I was. I just would put it that way. But he would flip around, and he would get me, and I couldn't move. And he would keep me there. We didn't know tap out. We just said, I give. That's what, you know, we just said, I give. Uncle, something like that. And I would stay there, and I would start cramping up because he would not let go of me. That's what that, that's what that is a pain of a picture of. God will never, he's there not letting go of you. And sometimes because we're trying to fight against him, what happens? We begin to cramp up. It's a good illustration. If you feel cramped spiritually, maybe ask the Lord, am I fighting against you? Do you feel confined, shut in? It could be that God is saying, I know your life. Write that down. I know your life. God's omniscience overwhelms David. Look with me in verse 6. This extraordinary knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I'm unable to reach it. It's full of wonder. It's surpassing. It's extraordinary. It's incomprehensible. I believe it scares David. It amazes him. It's not human. Therefore, it's unattainable. It's otherworldly. In A.W. Tozer's classic book, The Knowledge of the Holy, I believe, well, I know, that he will help us much more than I can. So let me just read this excerpt from his book. Quote, To say that God is omniscient is to say that he possesses perfect knowledge and therefore has no need to learn. But it is more. It is to say that God has never learned and cannot learn. The Scriptures teach that God has never learned from anyone. From there, it is only a step, Tozer says, to the conclusion that God cannot learn. Could God at any time or in any manner receive into His mind knowledge that He did not possess and had not possessed from eternity? He would be imperfect and less than Himself. To think of a God who must sit at the feet of a teacher even though that teacher may be an archangel, is to think of someone other than the Most High God, Maker of heaven and earth. God perfectly knows Himself. And being the source and author of all things, it follows that He knows all that can be known. And He knows instantly and with a fullness of perfection, that includes every possible item of knowledge concerning everything that exists or could have existed anywhere in the universe at any time in the past or that may exist in the centuries or the ages yet unborn. God knows instantly and effortlessly all matter and all matters, all mind and every mind, all spirit and all spirits, all being and every being, all creaturehood and all creatures, every plurality and all pluralities, all law and every law, all relations, all causes, all thoughts, all mysteries, all enigmas, all feeling, all desires, every unuttered secret, all thrones, all dominions, all personalities, all things visible, all things invisible, in heaven and earth, motion, space, time, life, death, good, evil, heaven, and hell. God knows all. Because God knows all things perfectly, He knows no thing better than any other thing but all things equally well. He never discovers anything. He is never surprised. He is never amazed. He never wonders about anything, nor, except when he's drawing something out of me or you, does he seek information or ask questions. God knows us 
more than we can ever imagine. That's why he knows everything about us. Secondly, in order to have a secure knowledge of your identity, we need to know this and be reminded of it. God is near us all the time. God knows all about us, and God is near us all the time. In these next six verses, David tells us there is nowhere we can go or can we can get away from God. This is because He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. David writes in verse 7 and 8, Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where's the answer? Nowhere. Where can I flee from your presence? Nowhere. If I go to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Psalm 23 verse 4 reminds us of where God is, even if we make our bed in Sheol. Even though I walk, where? Through the valley of the shadow of death. God is in heaven. Now what's it say? You are with me even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He's there. He's everywhere. There is no place he's not. David continues here in verses 9 through 10 of this Psalm 139, If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Now what's going on here? Have... For those that now I know, my dear brother, that I love the turkey hunt and love to get out in the woods early. And the times I've been able to go with people, it's just to see the sun rise and the rays begin to shoot over the trees and maybe out into a field. It's like, man, that happened all of a sudden. The dawn is slow, but the rays shoot across and they just keep on going. And keep on going. And sometimes there's clouds in the sky. You can see those rays peeking through and just going across the sky. It's, it's phenomenal. The speed of light is what? 186,000 miles per second. One, let it, 186,000 miles per second. Some of you Yahoos are saying, I wonder how many miles of travel when Brother, when Brother Chuck stops preaching today. You're thinking it's a lot of seconds. But I can't tell you, 186,000 miles per second, not able to outrun God. That's what he's saying here. David says, when I see the sun coming from the east at that speed, I know I, it, it cannot outrun you, God. And, and over to the west at the Mediterranean, God, there's no place where you're not. Jeremiah 23, 24. Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him? Declares the Lord. Do I not feel heaven and earth? Declares the Lord. I was reading yesterday and I came across a story uh, about a man who was telling when he was a young guy, he and some friends were going out in the, in the woods and they were going down a creek and they were just really having a big time. Well, he lost track of time, as many maybe young boys do, and at home was an hysterical mom, not knowing where her son was because it was way past the time he was supposed to be home. Anybody ever been there? <laughs> I have. Not good. And so, as they were coming back up the creek bed and making his way back toward their farm, he met the search party. <laughs> and so then they took him back home, and then his mom shared with him her disappointment via something on the backside of his frame. And this little eight-year-old boy just went to his bedroom not understanding what he had done wrong, but he knew he had disappointed his mom and he hurt from spanking. So he just pulled the covers over his head. It wasn't long before he found out 
that he really couldn't hide from his mom by just simply pulling the covers over his head. She knew where he was. And I thought about myself. There's been times in my life when it's just been hard. And you almost want to retreat to a room and close the door, maybe turn off the lights, turn off any sound, kind of crawl in the bed maybe, maybe literally but figuratively just pull the covers over your head. God is there. Sometimes I think in our childishness, we may think we can escape from God. I just need an escape. We cannot. Even under the covers, He's there. So, Matthew 28, 20. A great promise. Jesus is saying, you recognize where this is, don't you? Matthew 28, 20. Jesus says this, I am with you always. Dear church, we are significant. We should not suffer from identity crisis because we know God knows all about us. God is near us all the time. And thirdly, God created us. Here again yesterday, I was thinking, you know, that's just so simple, Chuck. You need to make it better. It needs to grab their attention more. Listen, when we try to add something to the Word of God, that's a, that's a train wreck waiting to happen. God created us. We are incredible creations of the all-powerful God, which means He's omnipotent. Under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit, David writes in verses 13 through 14 of our psalm this morning, For it was you who created my inward parts, literally kidneys there. You knit me together. You embroidered me. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wonderfully made. This means God created our genetic mix. Each of our parents contributed 23 chromosomes containing DNA, the chemical blueprint that conveys hereditary characteristics. God mixed them together in such a unique way that we have a unique blend that makes our personalities unique, our talents unique, our gifts unique, and, we'll, and we can be perfectly matched for God's purpose in our lives. David writes in verse 15, My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. This word frame there can be translated substance. It means power or strength. It refers to more than just skeletons. It includes our abilities and our talents. Curiously wrought. Woven with, listen to me, with intricate detail and with the greatest of care, God made you. Gosh, when I was in high school, Chase, I mean, I loved to play baseball like you did, but I just, and I think I've shared this before, I, I prayed this. I, it's not, not good, but I prayed it. God, I just want to be six foot. <laughs> if I can be six foot, all things are good. Never made it. I've scared 5'8 to death all my life. I just wanted to be that. I know that's simple and it's silly. But later in life, God revealed to me, that's not what I wanted for you. Dear Rich Chris, let that silly illustration just go in your mind. How many times... Do we want to try to change some things that God does not want to change? Do you think for a minute when I came up to the office and clicked that, what do you, what do you think I said? Well, if I could just change the way that I did not save that. I thought I saved it, but I could just go back in time and change it. Now, I'm not trying to get 
all something on you and say, well, that happened for a purpose and that was meant to happen. I know I didn't save it right. That's the reason. But God knew that. He knew I was guilty of reading this psalm and preparing maybe four points and, and try to get, get some good illustrations. He knew that. That's not what he wanted. He wanted 2.0. He wanted me to come in here and read his word. I wish you could see it. He wanted a tear to fall. I mean, it's dried up now, but yesterday at noon it wasn't. He wanted to teach me something. God help us if we ever come in here or ever look into his word or ever sing of his praises or ever have fellowship with a fellow believer or ever share the good news with someone who does not know it. God help us if it does not stir within us some response. God created us with emotions for praise. Scripture says he catches every tear. I thank God that he that he didn't let that be saved on that computer and force me to come back up here and recalibrate and say, okay, God, let me look into your word. Maybe one of the deacons said this morning, sometimes we need to stop asking why and start asking what. Why did this happen? Why did this happen? Why did this happen? And instead of saying, God, what is it you want me to know? What is it you want me to learn? Jamie Winship, an author that, um, man, Monica's been reading and I've been trying to look at it, and, he, and he's just a phenomenal guy. I don't have time to get all in it, but he's, he prays these two prayers. And he, he's, he's done CIA work. I mean, this, this guy's a, he, he's a, he's a, he's a bad dude. But whether it be here or whether it be in, oh, in, in, in the Middle East and working with insurgents, he prays this two, these two prayers. God, what is it you want me to know? And then, Lord, what is it you would have me to do? That's it. God created us. Verse 16, Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. Once more, omniscience and omnipotence come together. Working hand in hand, God saw us at the moment of conception as an unformed substance. Listen to this. Even when we were not much, we were still something to Him. He pre-recorded and set out all of our days in advance. God wrote all the details of our lives down in His book. And he fashioned and formed, are you listening? He fashioned and formed all the days of our lives when none of them yet existed. God had a plan for David. God has a plan for every person in here. God has a plan for every person listening online. God has a plan for every person that will listen to this pre-recorded. God has a plan for everybody ever born. He has a plan for everyone ever conceived. Not just born. God has a plan for each of us. He plans both the length and specifics of life. God has His purposes and His plans. Verses 17 through 18. God, how precious your thoughts are to me. How vast their sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, I'm still with you. Listen, God put thought and time into creating you. The Bible often used words sleep and awake as euphemisms for death and resurrection. Therefore, the phrase, when I wake up, seems to refer to death followed by resurrection. Listen to me. This means from the moment of conception in our mother's wombs, and even after death, God created us for significance. We are significant. We should not have an identity crisis. Because if we know these things, God knows all about us. He is near us all the time. He created us. And then finally, God will lead us. 
in verses 19 through 22. Look if, with me if you would. God, and this, this is where it takes a kind of an odd turn. This has been a psalm of praise, of saying, God, you're awesome, you're omnipotent, you're omniscient, you're, uh, you're, you're, you're omnipresent. And then it turns, God, if only you would kill the wicked. The, the first time that you read that, can you remember, well, I didn't see that coming. It's talking about the majestic, majestic personalities and attributes of God. Then he says, God, if only you would kill the wicked. You bloodthirsty men, stay away from me. Who invoke you deceitfully, your enemies swear by you falsely, God. They're using your name wrongly. Lord, you, don't I hate those who hate you and detest those who rebel against you? I hate them with extreme hatred. I consider them my enemies. What is going on? In the Bible, this word hate means to choose one over another. Malachi 1.3 is a perfect example. In certain contexts, the word hate is also used to indicate to stay away from people who want to draw us away from God. Did someone catch that on the short hop? To stay away from things who will keep us away from God. To hate those things. Now listen. We are not to hate anyone in the emotional sense. 1 John 4.8 does not become untrue because of what it says here. The Old Testament and New Testament are the same in teaching about that. Leviticus 19.18 But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. To let God lead us and avoid evil like David, we should pray, Search me, O God. And know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. We need to pray to God to examine our hearts. To see if there's any offensive way. Why? Because of the truth of Jeremiah 17.9. The heart is good. Somebody tell me the truth. The heart is what? deceitful, above all things, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Our hearts deceive us about how good we are. And that will never change because our hearts are sick beyond cure. Let, listen, left unchecked by God, our hearts persuade us to rationalize and legitimize our sins. Therefore, we must ask God to expose our sin and lead a life to the way everlasting. Now we're almost done. All the blanks are filled in. But I want you to tune in just for a moment. Hear my heart. How can God, who is infinite, be at the same time so intimate with us? He's infinite, but He's intimate. God who knows all and controls all is directly involved with each one of us at the deepest level. Not only does God operate on the macro level, He operates on the micro level. God is all and in all. No creature is from His sight. No individual is away from His presence. This great God has skillfully made us and ordained, ordained all our days. This God knows you the best, also loves you the most. This God is with you wherever you go. This God reveals your own heart to yourself. May you know this God more deeply each day. In this psalm. David's response to God must be our response to God. As this man, after God's own heart, pursued the Lord, so must each one of us. How should we live out this message of this psalm? The personal applications or the direct appropriations, if you want to put it that way, of this inspired psalm, Begin with an over 
overwhelming sense of the infinite greatness of God. I can testify to that. It begins reading it and allowing God's Holy Spirit to overwhelm us. Such an awareness should sweep over our souls, leaving us amazed and astonished. As you and I ponder the immensity of this greatness, yet we're intimately involved in a personal relationship with Christ, our hearts should be awestruck, even dumbfounded, that He should be so mindful of and involved with us. Rich Christ, can we respond in any other way by worshiping Him? The greater, listen to me, the greater our vision of God's attributes, the greater will be the wonder-filled love that will flood our hearts for Him. We could never adore a God we could completely understand. The fact that He exceeds the limits of our human comprehension causes, should cause our hearts to be filled with greater amazement toward Him. That this infinite God would make Himself known to us is beyond my understanding. That He would make Himself known to us in such an intimate relationship should confound us all our days but it should solidify our identity in Christ and dissolve any crisis. Because with clarity, we can abundantly know that God knows all about us. God is near us all the time. God created us, and God will lead us. Pray with me. Father, by your word, we are changed. Lord, help us to look beyond distractions. And Father, and embrace what you are calling us to. So church, now as we typically do, as we are continuing to pray, there's no doubt in my mind God's Holy Spirit is inviting us to respond to His Word. And that's what we're really about to do in the next moment. Whether it be come and speak to Chase or myself or whomever else may be here with the staff and, and share with them a concern on your heart, you may say, I, I, I don't know Christ. I, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a believer. I'm, I'm not a Christian. Can, I'm not sure. Listen, I can speak for any one of these men here or anyone around you. If you would share that with us, that is the greatest moment that we can experience together. It's just to talk with someone about what it means to be a follower of Christ. So that's my invitation first and foremost. If you do not know, if you're not even sure, listen. If you died today, are you sure what would happen to you the moment you took your last breath? If not, then that's an invitation. It's not arrogance, it's not cockiness, but listen, if you ask me or you ask someone up here, if you died, what would happen? I said, I have no doubt the moment I take my last breath here, my first breath will be in heaven. That is not arrogance, it's not cockiness, it is assurance, and assurance is the key to faith. So if you're sitting here and you think, I just don't know. Listen, okay, then let's, let's take the next step. Please come talk to us. You may be a believer and you may have been just like I was, just muddled down in the academics of omnipotence, omnipresent, omniscience, God will lead me. And those are all good. But if I am not in awe of God's holy word, then something is awry. You may want to come just to say, Lord, at this altar, that's me. Would you, Lord, bring me back? Restore the joy of my salvation. You may be looking for a church home. 
we would love to talk to you more about what that means. Whatever your decision. As soon as I say amen, I want us all to stand together. Then I want you to be obedient of what you know, what you feel God is calling you to do. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray, God, you bind the enemy from lying, from stealing, from tricking, from conniving, just, just snake-in-the-grass stuff. But, God, would you allow your Holy Spirit now to move within our hearts, individually and corporately, for your glory, Lord. May we respond to your holy word with passion and enthusiasm. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's all stand. Well, I'm so glad that you have tuned in to the broadcast today. I hope you've been encouraged by God's Word. It sure has been a joy to share it with you. And even now, uh, people at Ridgecrest are making decisions for Christ. Perhaps as you've watched this broadcast, you've recognized uh, the need for your own decision for Christ. The prompting of the Spirit has caused you to recognize that uh, you need Christ as your Savior. And the good news is you can receive Him right where you are. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Right where you are, you can call on Him. Say something like this from your heart to Him. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. I know I'm a sinner, and I know that you came into this world and died on the cross for my sins. And right now, I invite you to come into my life. Forgive me and be my Savior. I can assure you if you'll call on Him, based on what God has already told us in the Bible, that He'll hear that prayer and He'll answer that. And He wants to begin this new journey uh, in your life with you, transforming you into His image. We'd love to help you with that decision as well. You'll see a QR code on your screen. And if you would uh, scan that, or you'll see contact information. Or if you'll contact us about your decision today, we'd love to help you take next steps. There are no strings attached, no fees involved. We'd just like to help you begin that journey with Christ. You may be watching this broadcast today and say, I need a church family to belong to. I already know Christ as my Savior, and I'd like to be a part of the Ridgecrest family. Also, if you will, scan that QR code. That'll take you to a location and we'll be able to help you make those kinds of decisions like becoming a member here or if you've never been scripturally baptized, those kinds of things. So contact us through that QR code or through the contact information on the screen. Well, again, it's been a joy to have you with us today and I hope you've been encouraged by God's word. Whatever decision we can help you with, by all means, contact us. May the Lord bless you.